it's even followed me along. I'm still waiting for um, Chris Mead to release my iPad so I can control my messages again. And uh, with her, I, I um, started a couple of weeks ago talking about the, the book of Ephesians and, and just really feel to go through that within this setting and just to see what it says to us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I started talking about the book of Ephesians and didn't even get to verse 1. Um, so that we're going to get to there tonight. We're going to start out on Ephesians 1.1 and see where we get to that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus. Or a lot of the other translations, holy people seems to be a, almost a watered down translation of what that is. Or the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. But it starts out there of Paul, an apostle. There was a man that was, um, he had a, a truckload of penguins and, and broke down on the side of the road. And he was trying taking them to the, to, to the zoo, but his, his um, truck broke down. And, and that presented some issues because of, well, penguins like the cold and they were going to get hot on the side of the road. So he found another truck driver and and um, gave him a couple hundred dollars to take the penguins to the zoo. And so he gets his um, truck fixed, and he goes and finds, the next day he drives into town, and he sees this other truck driver walking across the road with all these penguins following him. Hops out of the truck, and he's just cranky. And he, he walks over to the guy and goes, what are you doing, mate? I gave you money to take the penguins to the zoo. What are you doing today? He's like, yeah, well, I took them to the zoo yesterday, and with the money left over, I'm taking them to the movies. And uh, it's absolutely got very little to do with what I'm talking about, other than the fact of this truck driver really didn't understand the purpose that he was there for. He really didn't grab hold and and understand the purpose. But the very first part of this this letter, I'm not not quite up to that, but that's all right. The very first part of this letter is, is Paul's talking about purpose. See, most of us, and a lot of people walk through life totally aimless, not really knowing who they are or what they're doing or, or where life's going or, or what it's all about. And they jump here and there and do a whole bunch of things and, and look for meaning in this and look for meaning in that and just flounder about in all that. But Paul here starts off saying that here I am, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the will of God. Purpose is an important thing of, of what he's doing. Actually, I want to just mention that. Notice the word apostle. Notice how there's no capital A in front of that term there. Notice how it's a little a in front there. See, a lot of people in, in their life look for purpose and out of their purpose try and, and draw their identity. Out of what they're doing and what their function is, they try and gain identity by that and try and draw out of the things that they do to actually meet their needs and to find um, use for them. Like We've got a generation at the moment who sort of sit there and are, and are looking for meaning and looking for purpose. And I'm not talking about young adults and teenagers. I'm talking about people who are 65 and 70 and are in caravans and 
and now have finished work. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. Now we've got this generation who, again, are in this like teenage state because they've finished work doing things in which they found purpose and meaning, and now they've, they've retired. And where it used to be almost like you retired at that age and your body was so worn out and then life expectancy sort of stopped them. But now we have this prolonged retirement, um, which is going on, and, and thanks to medical advancements and the health of our Western world and things like that. But now we've got this bunch of people who are, again, looking for meaning and looking for identity and struggling to find it. And it's amazing how we, we do that. I got, had a mate who um, his, his sister was a professor in... Um, in a university, and his brother um, looked after a big transporting company, but because of situations in his life, he wasn't able to actually um, hold down a job because of his his, his life and, and what had gone on. And so with him, he, he grabbed hold of little projects and little volunteer projects, and out of them would start to try and draw out and really throw himself into it, and then make everyone else around him miserable and how controlling he was on that, trying to build up his esteem and build up his identity through what he was doing and trying to uh, fluff himself up and making himself bigger and, and, and controlling everything else because he was trying to actually match up to those that were also around, to his brother and sister and trying to meet up with them. Like We try and find purpose and identity in what we do. We try and find identity in relationships. I know a bunch of people that have, and you might know some people that go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship and seem to not have the concept of how to actually be okay on their own and know who they are, but draw themselves out of someone else. And when I, when I counsel young people about relationships, I talk to them about relationships aren't addition, but they're multiplication. And some of you guys are known because we've had this conversation. And the whole thing is when we're trying to relate to someone or join together with someone, if in ourselves we're not complete, say you're, say you're only half your identity, you're only secure in half of who you are. You don't fully understand who you are or the purpose or the concept God's got for you. And then the other person, say they've only got half of a concept of themselves, well, you think, oh, half plus half, that makes a whole. Fantastic. Problem is when you multiply 0.5 by 0.5, and I'm, and I'm sorry for bringing some maths in here, but some guys, this makes more sense. you've actually got a quarter then. Two halves make a quarter. And and so out of relationships, we don't seem to find identity. People try and find identity out of different groups that they're part of and organizations that they're part of. We've got this whole thing going on with ISIS, people trying to find identity by by joining that. I was at a birthday party the other week, and um, I was talking to a guy there, and he was really fascinating guy. We were just talking. We were down at um, Beanley um, at the new inflatable world thing down there and I'm just always having fun jumping around on all the jumping castles and all that and then I find he used to hang out down the road at at the bikey club um, down the end of the road there and he was telling me about times when he was on the gate and he had a baseball bat and these other guys turned up and started firing and shooting up the place with their guns and he's jumping under a car with his baseball bat hiding and I'm like dude this is crazy he's like oh man it was so cool being a part of these guys it was fantastic, and I, I just really found more of who I am. And now he's part of HA, um, Hell's Angels, and he just really finds identity and looking for meaning and, and actually somewhere just to 
locate himself and to be connected. And I'm like, dude, you almost died and you want to keep hanging out with these bikies. Like, what's going on there? And um, even in ministry, even in church, people find their identity in what they do. And I mentioned before, here we go, we've got the word apostle there. Paul, an apostle. A lot of people jump into church and they go, cool. Okay, what can I do to serve? How can I serve? And we give them, a serve, and we give them something to do. There's something to do in the church. It might be welcoming. It might be worship. And they go, cool. What can I tell people my title is? What do you mean? Oh, I, I need a title. People are asking me what my title is. I greet people. Talk to them in terms of function. See, a lot of people do that. I've, I've been handed business cards by people. It's like Joe Bloggs, Apostle, big A next to there, or, or Prophet this as they give business cards out. And, and in the Word, I can't find that. See, God has given us these things as purposes to do. They're functions to do. If we go on and we jump, and we'll talk about this when we finally get to chapter 4, but um, the officers of Christ there... <laughs> Sorry, I'm starting in verse 1, but you can't talk about verse 1 without looking at verse 4 because he talks about what an apostle is in, verse, in chapter 4. Where he starts to talk about the, the offices of Christ, that the gifts Christ has given are for the building up and edifying of the church, not so someone can have a title and go, yeah, look at how awesome and wonderful I am, and now you can bow down and, and tell me how great I am and I've got a title before my name. Um, and so he uses a little layer. Because in that, we're not to draw our identity out of that. But these are functions. I don't do this for my identity's sake. And I, I don't stand in the position or sit in the seat that I sit in this church for the sake of knowing who I am. I'm able to do what I do because I know who I am. We don't gain who we are out of what we do. But we do what we do because of who we are. So identity comes from God and it's followed by pur- purpose. Like to, to Peter, Jesus walked around and said, follow me, I'll make you fish as a man. I'm going to give you identity in myself first, follow me, and then I'm going to actually give you something to do, go out and save people. And so we, we go on from there, and I, this is what I really want to talk about tonight, to the holy people in Ephesus, or to the saints, and... Um, if we're really honest with ourselves, when we get to that, we start to have an identity crisis when we start to read the letters. And Paul starts a lot of his letters like this. I'm an apostle of God to the saints in wherever. And so in this one, he starts to the saints in Ephesus because that's the people where he's writing to and the church that he's writing to. Or he could easily write to the saints in, in Shaler Park or the saints in Logan City or or the saints in Calvary Family Church. It, it could have started like that. It, this letter applies to us today. And, we, and when we hear the word and think about, hey, because what he's saying, he's not saying a select group of people or the people that you look at and go, hey, they're really holy. God really loves them because, man, they're really holy. They've, they're like 80 and they've been at church their whole lives and they do nothing wrong and they're like the super holy people and... Uh, oh, they're, they're, they're the youth leaders, or they're, oh, they're on worship team, they're like super holy. And so that's who he's talking to when he says the saints, and not, not just to the rest of us. We, I don't apply to that. It's just to, oh, that's just to the leadership or the pastors. No, the saints, 
This is a word that he's talking about to include everyone. And yet I even read this and I go, well, I'm having some sort of identity crisis when I think about the word saint, that that's who he wants to call me. Because he's not talking to some... Right, we, we've, we've perverted the word saint over the years. He's not talking to someone that's dead and um, been dead for so many years. And, and what, what's happened in, um, in the Mother Mother Church is um, they've taken this term saint to mean someone who we know for certain is in heaven. And the reason we know they're in heaven is because they lived a life of, of sacrifice and moral standing. And then since they've died... People have been praying to them. And they've done one miracle. One miracle we've seen happen because people prayed to them. And so they got beautified. And then after that, when they do a, perform a second miracle or a third miracle, if their lifestyle really didn't live up, um, then they become canonized or a saint. And that's where we get like St. Mary MacKillop and, and St. Christopher and, and St. Patrick and, and St. Stephen, and, and so we, we label all these people saints. Well not, well, not us in that, but all these people get labeled saints, but that's not who we're talking about here, and that's not what it's talking about. One of the most funny things I find about um, some of the church tradition is in some of your older Bibles, you open them up and, and you, read the, um, you read the Gospels, and it's not like the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the book of St. Matthew. The book of St. Mark, St. Luke, the book of St. John. But have you ever heard Jesus referred to as St. Jesus? That just seems really bizarre. I've thought about it. You've you got to think. If, if someone's really saintly, it's got to be Jesus. But I, I wonder if the reason he was never referred to as saint is because he really didn't match up his lifestyle with what we would assume a saint should live like. We sort of think saint, we think of Mary, uh, our Mother Teresa, someone who, who's just devoted their lives and, and gone and lived in a third world nation and just let the lepers and the sick just be around them all the time and, and just devoted themselves 100% to serving that. And, and what we think of these people that are totally above or out of reach on what we could personally do and, and get to. Um, but here's the thing, you're a saint. I don't know if you recognize that when you look in the mirror in the morning and you hop out of the shower and you're doing your hair and you're trying to brush your teeth and maybe you're trying to shave and maybe you just get up in the morning and you walk into the bathroom and the mirror's there and, and your hair's everywhere and, uh, and then you go, hey, Saint. Hey, Saint Sarah. <laughs> what are you doing today? I don't know if you actually can think like that or, or, or do that, but that's what Paul's actually saying here, but I, I really think, and I just want to touch base on a couple of things from the life of Jesus, because this is our identity, and it's only when we know our identity, and this is why Paul starts off his letters like this, because everything that we are in, in who we are as Christians and everything we are for our discipleship and everything we are to actually be able to fulfill our purpose and to be all that God wants us to be and to see heaven come on earth the way that he wants it to happen and, and to see all that, it all comes out of this one concept, our identity and who we are. It all comes out from an understanding and not just an understanding of it in our head, but actually a, a fulfillment of it and a living it out 
through our lifestyle and our words and deeds of who we are, that that happens. And that's one of the things that the enemy attacks the most, is tries to strip down your belief and recognition of who you are. And so Paul starts his letters out like this, again, just establishing your identity and getting in on that, on your identity. And I wonder, often we think about Jesus, and let's talk about Jesus because he's the one that wasn't referred to as a saint, but was actually the most saintly. Now, do you think that Jesus grew up with an actual revelation and understanding of his identity? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Did Jesus grow up knowing that he was the son of God? When he was six, was he running around going, I'm the son of God? Did he have that recognition that I'm the begotten son of God? When he was three years old, did he have that? Some people actually have this idea that Jesus, from the moment he was born, I mean, some of the people that wrote um, Christmas carols, He's asleep in, in the hay, no crying he makes. Hello, he's a baby. The, the fact of the matter, there's some truth that we actually have to understand about Jesus. See, we get this concept in Jesus of Jesus is God. And so in some way, his life was different to ours. But what he did is he was fully God, and then he left fully God in heaven and came down and was fully human. And the Bible says that he left the very nature of God and didn't consider equality God with anything to be considered equal to or attained to. He left that nature, came down and took on the persona of humanity. So he was fully God, fully man, didn't operate in any of his godness while he walked the earth, but had one mind and walked in that. So when he actually operated in his miracles, he had to do it just like you and I do, through the power of the Holy Spirit through relationship with the Father and understanding. So through that, when he was born as a baby, he didn't just have this immaculate knowledge that was there that, well, I'm the son of God. He didn't not cry. He didn't not need nappies. He didn't talk from birth. He didn't have an understanding of every language on the earth. But he actually had to go through learning and go through school. How do we know that he went to school? Because he was in the temple learning when he was 12. The Bible says he actually went through learning like we do. Now, we just read before in Isaiah, and I just want to read the start of Isaiah 53 again. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. He's believed our message, and to is the arm of the Lord be revealed. He grew up before him like a tender sheep, and like the root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. See, Jesus grew up, and there was nothing in his natural world that actually told him he was God. When he looked in the mirror in the morning, he didn't have this halo glowing around him. It wasn't there. When he, when he, when he got class photos at school, 
the, the photo didn't come back and all the other kids were there and then Jesus had this glowing thing all around him and this light beam coming down out of the top and it didn't sit there and say, Son of God, under it. When he was sitting there building chairs for Aunt Mavis and in agony and pain after he'd been just building tables and chairs and benches all day um, with his dad, at that point, the agony and pain didn't sit there in his muscles and, and tell him, oh, wow, I'm the son of God. And in fact, everything in his world screamed against it. Everything in his world screamed against that he was just ordinary, that he was just like everybody else. We know that there was nothing about his appearance that singled him out. He was not a surfy, blonde, long-haired looking guy in the middle of an Arab nation. He just he didn't belong on Baywatch. It, it, that's it. And even more, like, and so all this somewhere in there, though, in the midst of all that, in the learning, in the going through life, in the learning scripture and reading scripture, something happened, and a shift happened for him where all of a sudden, at one point, he would have been reading Isaiah and going, that's me. And I wonder where that happened. Where in his world did he actually sit there and make the shift from before the thing of going, I'm just like everybody. I, I, well, I'm playing football and I can't kick a drop cold properly. I'm, I'm, I, I just... I can't fully remember the Torah. I'm meant to remember this thing. All this thing that's happening and just in his natural self, where did the shift happen for him that he actually started believing the words that he was learning and going, that's actually talking about me. And the revelation came on in his life. But somewhere in himself, he's made the shift and gone, okay, I may look like everybody else, but this word's talking to me and something's alive by the Holy Spirit inside me. And I'm going to hold on to that as my identity. Even though everything in myself screams out against this. Even though I get hungry like everybody else. Maybe it was only the day he got baptized that that was fully realized when heaven opened up and the Father spoke, hey, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Maybe that was the day that it fully Came, But through there, we know when he was 12, he was gaining that revelation because he was in the temple and he said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? We know at that point he has a revelation that's gone on, but somewhere up in there, he's grabbed hold of that. And just like Jesus, our world screams out to us whenever we look in the mirror and whenever we think about how we act and how we think and what we do, it sits there and screams out to us, you're no one special. You're no one important. You're just like everybody else. There's nothing unique about you. There's nothing important about you. Every time that we we sit in the natural and think about how we fail and struggle and all the doubts that that come upon us, every time we get tired and sick and we revert back to our innate nature and um, instead of displaying the love of Jesus, we get cranky and grumpy and mean and, and coarse to people. Maybe that's just me. And... But we do that stuff and we sit there and go, hang on, but I'm a saint. No, that can't apply to me. But just like Jesus, we need to have faith in that word and go, no, that is me. I'm a saint. 
I'm a saint. Not only did Jesus in himself have himself to, cons- to fight with, though, everyone around him, they didn't think he was God. Actual fact, the Bible says that his family told him he was mad. His friends who he grew up with, when he, he went to church one day um, in Luke chapter 4, and he, he hops up in church, and, and what they did is they'd all read different things, and he was a rabbi, so he, he got up and, and read the scripture out and reads from Isaiah and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news, recovery of sight to the blind, release for the captives, Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then sat down and everyone's looking at him and said, you know what? Today, this is fulfilled right here, this, this thing. This is talking about me. And what did they do? The church picked him up, took him out, found the highest cliff and was about to throw him off the cliff. And then this really cool thing. I love when these little bits happen in the Bible when Jesus just goes into like ninja mode because it says... Phew, and then they couldn't find him, and he just passed through the crowd. But here's the thing. Everyone around him was telling him, dude, you're saying you're the son of God? Uh-uh. We know who you are. We know that you're just like us, that you're a carpenter, that you build tables. We, we, know, we know you were no good at soccer. We, we, we know that you stubbed your toe here. We... we, we Man, we know the trouble that your mum Mary had with you. We know the struggles all that that was going on. We and everyone around him was screaming something different. And I wonder how much in our world it's like that. That the people around us start screaming out at us and going, What do you mean? You say you're a Christian? You say you're a Christian? Do we cop it from people? I don't know, maybe, maybe you're a bit different than me. I, I used to cop a fair bit of stuff, especially when I was at school and a bit at uni. Um, actually, one of the really unique things at uni was fascinating. I used to wear my True Love Waits ring on my ring finger, and I used to get asked a lot, are you married? I'm like, you're pretty young to be married. I was 18 at the time. They're like, no, I'm not. that doesn't mean that. It means I'm going to remain sexually pure until I get married. Oh, wow, that's awesome. I wish I could do that. I'm like, you can. It's really easy. Um, let me introduce you to Jesus. They just didn't want to take that next step at that point. But you, you cop it for, for saying you're a follower of Jesus. You get bagged out. My son the other day, I was at this birthday party I was telling you about. Um, I was talking to the mum and she's like, oh, which one's your kid? Oh, Josiah. Oh, yeah, my kid. He, he says he's part of that, um, part of that Bible mob. I'm like, yes, come on. My son's already identifying himself as a, as a follower of Jesus or connected to the church or something. He's doing something at church that even six-year-olds are identifying that there's something different going on inside him. I just got excited when I heard that. And, um, but we, we hear stuff and people say all these things about us and, and all these things. How can you say you're a Christian? How can you say you're a Christian? I know what you've done. I know what you're like. How can you say you're anything special? When I was on schoolies, I... Um, had a mate who didn't understand what my true love weight string meant. And so um, he uh, had found a couple of girls, and, but he'd been drinking a bit. And so things didn't work as they were meant to work. 
And knowing I'm a Christian, somewhere in his whole revelation there, he identified that something supernatural must happen around me because he actually came out um, from his room with this girl and they were trying to hold hands. And um, saying, holding hands just isn't working. And, and so he's like, will you pray for me? Put me out of all my mates. And they're like, dude, what? what the? And uh, will, you, will you pray for me? I'm like, I'm just looking at him going, dude, there is no way I'm praying for you right now in this. <laughs> I'll pray for you to get saved, man. But no, no I want to hold hands. No, man, I'm not praying for you for that. And um, so then I go back in with all my friends. Oh, what was he on about? What was he going on about? And I'm like, eventually, you know how after a while people wear you down? And so, this, I mean, this guy's going to be embarrassed if I share anything. But after a while, I sort of share what had gone on. And um, when he sobers up, he, um, everyone's making fun of him. He looks at me and uh, says these words of like, thought you're a Christian. Do you even know God? And there was something about that that, that really stirred in me and, and, and sat with me as a 17-year-old fellow. I had sort of two choices there. I, I, it was a real defining moment in my life. I, um, at that point, went, I could have gone, you know what? The world's telling me I'm not who I say I am, so that's not who I am. And I could have easily listened to him at that point and, and run off. Um, but it was one of those things, and it was one of those things where I just dug my heels and went, okay, that's the challenge. Am I, am I who I say I am? Am I who the Word says I am? Am I who Jesus calls me to be? Am I going to actually be that person? Because in that action, I wasn't. And so I was, it's interesting how God sets things up. I was going through all this, and then I came out and hung out with Pastor Pete. I'd never been to this church before that. It was the first time I'd walked in the doors and we had um, a prophet with us that night and she did the whole call me out. Or She didn't call me out. She waited until after the service when um, Pete was getting prayer and I said, oh, can you pray for me as well? And she's like, good, I was hoping you'd get some. I'm like, okay. And um, then she read my mail and told me everything that was going on in my world and everything about this, this struggle and this, this choice that I was in and this defining moment because everything around me and all the people around me or rather, this, this mate around me had screamed in my face, quietly and calmly, but inside my spirit, it had just screamed at me, going, you're not who you say you are. Your identity isn't a saint. You're just a, a rotten person who your friends can't trust. And it's in that point that we make a choice. Are we actually going to be who God called us to be? Or are we going to listen to the world and, and step down to um, what around us screams like? And so Jesus went through these things. All of it. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that, that screams at us to stop us from our, our identity. But the big two are, are sort of that. The enemy comes and attacks us with a whole fair bunch of stuff. Our desires, all the temptations that comes around us and tries to rip us off. But this is the starting point. You're a saint. You're a saint. And um, I wonder if worship team would just come and we'll land that there. And See, because we've been talking, last week we spoke about, and this morning I um, spoke about this again, but th this whole fact of a worldview and an understanding of this, that we are at war. We're at war. We battle against spiritual forces. 
And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And now the devil's number one thing is this, is to try and lie to you about who you are and try and deceive you about who you are and try and rob you of your identity because without an understanding that we are the children of God and without that, that concept that we are saints, that we're his holy people separated and sanctified from everything around us to live a holy purpose and to actually live the, the potential and to live the holiness that would see heaven invade earth, Without that revelation and understanding, his will and his purpose can't be enacted on the earth. And so that's the one thing that the devil, if he can do anything in your life, it would be that, to deceive you about who you are. And so maybe you're here tonight and you just need that, that revelation again. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need something to spark inside you. You just need to hear that rhema word that spoken word of God inside your spirit and listen to it and actually stand up and go, yes, that's who I am. Would you stand with me just as we pray? Father, and Lord, that's really it. When we even just say that word, and say your name as Father, Dad. Lord, that in itself sums up who we are. Children of the Most High God. Ones who are according to his purpose and, and share his likeness and his image. And yet, Lord, there's so many times we don't believe that. Lord, when we're battling with temptation, we struggle to believe that of the high standing to which you call us to and the high position of which you see us. Lord, when we're thinking about how we're living and what's going on, Lord, we struggle to identify with that. But Lord, we just come and maybe you're here and you can identify with me with this. And if you do, just... Give it words in your spirit to God. But Lord, we come and, and we just want to say, Lord, we, we just turn from that and we repent of those thoughts. Because we agree with you. We make the decision tonight that we agree with you that we are saints. We are your holy people. We are your sanctified people. We are separated from the rest of the people in this world to live a purpose that's not our own but chosen by you that would actually see heaven manifest around us, that would actually see the will and the desires of the Father happen here on earth and would actually see us able to live a lifestyle of holiness and completeness in you. And so, Lord, we're sorry that for the times we haven't recognized that and we ask your forgiveness for that, but we make the decision tonight that that's who we are. And we agree with your word that we are saints. Lord, we don't want to sort of get a bit pretentious and start walking around and calling each other saints. That would just feel weird. Uh, But, Lord, we want to do stuff with each other that would actually encourage each other to recognize this within ourselves. Lord, we want to 
help each other and encourage each other actually to see this as who we are and, and help each other to call this out in ourselves and call this out in the people around us, Lord. We want to just call out the best and call out the promise and purposes of God in each other. Lord, and if at times that means we, we get a bit weird and call each other saints, then, Lord, I guess that's worth it. But we just need a deeper revelation of this. So we ask, Father, that you'd, you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, that you would just go bang in our spirit, that our spirits could hear your, your voice say, this is about you. This is who you are. Yeah. You know, if you need prayer for any of that, yeah, make your way out and we'll pray for you. If there is someone in your world or you're struggling with sickness or anything as well, I'm just really wanting to pick a fight with that um, at the moment in this season. And, and so let's pray for you and with that as well. But let's just worship and Holy Spirit stirring stuff on you and you need someone to join with you in faith about that. Why don't you make your way to the front and we'll join together in faith about those things. And,